The Legend of the Bell Witch is a great piece of American folklore, and that is what makes it so interesting and problematic for researchers. The tale encompasses so many different paranormal events and has been retold so many times that looking into this haunting as a historical event is nearly impossible, not to mention the outright fabrications and many misconceptions that have arisen since interest in the story boomed in the last 20 years or so. But despite 200 years of hyperbole, the core of the tale remains. The part of the story that really scares people is that something bad happened to John Bell and his family, something that no one could explain. Over the next few episodes, Beyond Terrestrial will explore this frightening notion of family and fear spanning centuries in one small area of Middle Tennessee. The Bell Witch's Backyard. Welcome back, Beyonders. I'm Lee Errett. I'm coming to you here from the Bell Witch's Backyard. Dan Martin is still just south of the moon over there on the banks of the beautiful Snake River. And we're Beyond Terrestrial. We're happy to be back with you again today. And Dan has brought the best written show that I think I've seen in, um, well, since we started the episode. Uh, He has done some research for us. Um, I've told you several times I'm from the Bell Witch's Backyard, and this is the story of that Bell Witch. Uh, It is an amazing, a scary story. We're going to get in. We've got some interviews later on in this series, uh, but for now... Let's get into some backstory. Dan, tell us a little more. All right, Lee. Don't sell yourself short. Lee's very well versed in the Bell Witch legend. I had to look all this up. But here's the backstory on the Bell Witch. Uh, the story, the Bell Witch story, is named for the central human figure of the tale, John Bell. John was born in North Carolina in 1750. Now, there isn't a lot of info about John's early life. One thing we do know is that he apprenticed as a cooper before becoming a farmer. Now, if John had become a barrel maker, maybe none of this would have ever happened. But as it happened, John started farming, and in 1782, he married Lucy Williams. Lucy was born in 1770. She was 20 years younger than John, and if we do a little math, you can see she was all of 12 years old when she was married. (laughs) Now, yeah, that's a little bit creepily. Yeah. I know it was the 18th century, but that's a little young for marriage. Yeah, that is is a little bit. It feels very young for marriage, but we've got to remember this is... This is a time frame um, when most of most marriages seemed to happen around that kind of thing. The man was like 30 years old and the woman was like 16. So 12 may be a little younger than what I've heard before, but I, I agree with you. It, it's, it's strange by our standards, but we have to remember this is the 18th century. Yeah, a little bit weird. He's 32. She's like 12. 
So definitely awkward. Um, but there's no accounts of John Bell being a pervert or anything like that. And they didn't have their first child, Jesse, for another eight years. That was uh, 1790. So, I mean, she was 20 then. So I guess, you know, not quite as awkward, but still strange. Anyways, for the next decade, everything was normal at the Bell House. Uh, the Bells had three more kids, all boys, and um, they kept on farming. But in 1801, the farm started to go downhill. With the collapse of their crops, the Bells did what a lot of enterprising Americans did in those days. In 1804, they packed up and headed west. The Bells moved to Tennessee, settling the community of Red River, what is today the town of Adams in Robertson County. The Bells cleared land for a new farm, and their crops were very productive. The Bell family was also productive as Lucy gave birth to three more children. Lucy and John's only daughter, Elizabeth, born in 1806, was called Betsy by the family and is of particular note to our story as she would become one of the favorite targets of the Bell Witch entity. That entity, which would come to call itself Kate, would terrorize Betsy and her family for years starting in 1817. What's funny is... Now, sorry, what's funny is the, the way that you say the family was productive as well. <laughs> I'm sorry, it makes me laugh. Well, the, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, well, in those days, Lee, you had to have six kids to work the farm. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. That, that was hard work back then. You had to have six kids, and remember, this is Tennessee, a slave state at the time. John Bell was also a slave owner. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, that's a little backstory on the Bell Plantation. Um, and that's what we're going to get into, what it, what it, life was like in 1817 for John Bell and his family. Uh, in 1817, John Bell was the patriarch of a large fairly well-to-do family, an elder in the local church, 67 years old, and generally uh, very well thought of in the community. That was unless he had screwed you over in a business deal. There are stories of land deals and later a slave purchase in 1818 that indicate John Bell was a shrewd businessman and would really piss people off by charging interest. In fact, the practice of charging interest, also known as usury, was so frowned upon by 19th century Christians that the local church excommunicated John Bell for it. So, that's that was a big deal back then, Lee. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. Like, something that you think of today, interest is everywhere. Um, and back then, it was considered so so taboo that the church would literally kick you out um it takes a lot to get kicked out of a church in most cases yeah and uh the story of john bell's excommunication is actually a little bit funny uh someone came to them uh with this story of him charging the interest uh and at first they tried to be like oh no it's not that big a deal john's a good guy 
Um, but he actually got taken to court and convicted, and they weren't able to turn a blind eye to it and had to kick him out. Oh, yeah. 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 So... It was it was a big deal back then, and I it's a bit of a sidetrack, but I think it's very important to set up uh, who John Bell is uh, in this time period because he is such a central figure to the story, and and it's important to understand how he was living when these events started, and what started it all was a strange animal. One day in 1817, John Bell was doing what farmers do. He was checking on the corn. That was until he saw a large, dark animal that had the body of a dog, but the head of a rabbit. Rabbits would become a theme in Kate's appearances and are recognized as tricksters in Southern folklore. But when Bell fired his rifle at this weird Donnie Darko looking dog the beast <laughs> vanished and not like it ran off into the corn it disappeared into thin air as you do somebody shoots a gun at me I'm gone yeah. oh you yeah mean, right uh, I mean yeah <laughs> you mean it just dematerialized kind of vanished okay I'm with you I'm e- evaporated with you. <laughs> evaporatedly right into the sky uh, now Bell's family also reported strange sightings around the farm. A slave saw a black dog following him. Bell's son Drew saw a strange bird. And notably, young Betsy Bell, now 11, saw a little girl in a green dress swinging on a tree branch. When the girl in the tree saw Betsy looking, she suddenly stopped playing and disappeared. So, so not, there's a lot of weird stuff going on on this farm. Lately. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that I, I, I like to take away from there. Um, I've heard stories uh, from different areas on different folklores. Um, for example, in um, the UK, uh, many different areas of the UK, uh, black dogs are seen as um, sometimes harbingers of death, sometimes protectors. Uh, it really depends on the circumstance and how they are. Uh, they they refer to them in some places as the black shuck, um, and those black dogs can have all sorts of supernatural powers. They usually have glowing red eyes, and they're um, uh, they're usually seen as a very terrifying experience. So if that's anything like what they're trying to describe and or what he's seeing, um, I can understand that. Um, I've also heard stories, and granted, this one I really got. Um, I, I can't remember the source because I, I, I just heard it um, from a firsthand account uh, years ago of a young lady. She was in a um, she was in a, uh, uh, a, a cemetery. Wow, I'm just all over the place right now. She was in a cemetery <laughs> and she was doing some ghost exploring as you do, and um, she saw what she said looked like a, a large black cat. Um, and the large black cat that she said she saw, she also said closely resembled uh, in the head um, an Egyptian god known as, uh, I believe it was the god of Ra um, or Osiris, one of the two. Uh, but essentially, it's the one that looks like a jackal um, with really long pointed ears. 
except the big difference on this one that she claimed is the face was more sunken in and not as not as pointed nose like the jackal is um but those yeah. the, um, but you could Ra- sorry go ahead Ra had a falcon Ra had a falcon head so it must have it, been, it uh, had to have been osiris <laughs> then sorry about that yeah thank you dan <laughs> um but the way she described it, it the ears were very similar and reminiscent of a jackal um, especially de- depicted as the jackal um, in uh, Egyptian design, which is very long pointed ears. Um, so are they similar? Are they related? Could John Bell have seen a dog, um, misidentified the body type of a cat with a dog? Could she have misidentified the body type of a dog with a cat? It's possible. Um, that being said, it was a it was one anecdote that I've heard uh, in my years of um, listening and hearing stories. Uh, it's one of those ones that you kind of take with a grain of salt. Um, but there's also many stories of black cats in um, all over the U.S., in the U.K., and other areas like that. Uh, they're referred to as alien big cats, and in many scenarios, those alien big cats are very melanistic. Um, which is uh, essentially f- a black cat. Um, they're black. Yeah, like all black. Uh, a lot of times they're referred to as something like a black panther. Now, when somebody in England says that they uh, they see a black panther, there is no reason for a black panther to be there unless a human brought them there, and hopefully they didn't. Um, and then, in th- <laughs> or if it's a Marvel pub- publicity stunt gun, terribly wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Now the black yeah. uh, the black panthers that they mention here in the U.S. there is a particular animal that could could be misidentified as a black cat, and that is the the mountain lion. Um, well, here in yeah, your common puma. Yes, the common puma. Now here in the eastern United States, uh, according to Fish and Game, they they don't exist. They they've been extinct for years. That being said, there's also evidence that, or there's also um, stories of them being seen many times over. So uh, the the that is one thing. The big difference here, though, is the puma or the lo- mountain lion has no DNA uh, evidence and no no evidence in history of having melanistic qualities in any case. Um, the darkest they yeah, get I've is like a golden a brown. Cougar. Sorry, Dan. Yeah. I've never seen a black cougar. That's not a thing. Yeah, I, like I said, the darkest they get is like a like a dark golden brown um, to like a yeah. to like a sandy color. Um, now, South America does have a cat that could uh, could get there, and that's the pan like essentially the black panther um, that could hit that melanistic color and could potentially get up here to the southern U.S. Um, as far as physically being capable of getting here without having to cross an ocean um but it's so far outside their natural habitat it doesn't make sense for them to be here sorry dan for that divergence uh let's keep going (laughs) (laughs) yeah well and this is like how trying to explain these weird sightings uh is wild and crazy especially when you consider some of the crazy stuff that happened next uh, because it gets wild. In fact, uh, the very evening that John Bell claimed to see the the rabbit dog, which I like to call the Donnie Darko dog, <laughs> um, the unusual events that his family had witnessed moved 
from the farm to the house with a series of loud taps, bangs, and knocks on the walls and doors of the home. Now, when John Bell and his sons went outside to find the source of these noises, none could be found. There was no one outside. Now, in subsequent nights, the noises increased in intensity and started to make their way inside the house. The Bell kids reported strange noises in their bedrooms, sounds of scurrying rats and scratching on their bedposts. Other frightening sounds began to fill the house at night, and soon the sound of dogs fighting and chains being dragged across the floor kept people up. The entity haunting the Bells seemed to keep increasing in intensity, and soon the family began to experience the first physical effects of this strange poltergeist. As the sounds grew, the Bell children reported covers being pulled off their beds while they slept. This is a classic poltergeist move seen in almost every scary movie. I mean, uh, what was that last one, uh, the found footage one, Lee? Uh, Paranormal Activity? Yes. Where it's like mostly night vision in their bedroom? Yeah. And they, oh man, they did that movie so creepily that... You know, it makes you clutch the covers a little bit closer. Now imagine it in real life in your old rickety farmhouse. Well, it's not an old farmhouse. I guess it's only 13 years old. (laughs) Um, In your, you know, 1800s rickety farmhouse. Yeah, well. So, anyway. Yeah, um, it does. (laughs) I mean, naturally, I hold the covers tight anyway uh, because my beautiful (laughs) wife seems to think they're all hers. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that being said, yes, it, it it that one was very well done. I can also imagine how terrifying that would be in the middle of the night. Now you're talking dark. Uh, it's not dark like here in in modern day. Um, you've got to think about how um, how much light pollution we actually get. We've got lights coming in from the street. We've got cell phone chargers that have little green lights. Our TVs have little lights on them. Um, When it's dark in your bedroom, yeah, it's kind of dark. But there is still sources of light. When it's dark in a, um, in essentially a cabin with no sources of electricity and candlelight being your only source of lighting, that's a different level of dark. That is pitch black. Now, beyond the the bed sheets getting pulled off and pillows getting pulled off and all that weird stuff, uh, this was about the time that John Bell began experiencing a strange problem as well. Pains in his mouth, cheeks, and jaw would flare up while he tried to eat. He said it was like having a stick in his mouth, poking in his cheeks, and keeping him from chewing. Now, Lee, this is a terrible affliction, if you ask me, because I like to eat. It, food's good. <laughs> it, it's good. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so, this, this is pretty rough. This type of facial paralysis is often linked with a condition that is coincidentally called Bell's Palsy, after the unrelated doctor who discovered it. 
Now, a lot of modern researchers, Lee, think that John Bell was probably suffering from some kind of neurological disorder. Uh, he suffered seizures late in his life. Um, so this is one of the things that um, a lot of people, a lot of skeptics point to. Now, whatever was causing John's mouth problem, the problems for his kids, Betsy in particular, quickly escalated into full-on violence. Betsy told her family that an invisible thing was assaulting her physically. Slaps and pinpricks were the common torments she experienced, as well as once having her hair tied to the bedpost while she slept. These encounters left Betsy and other Bell kids with lots of physical signs of abuse, including welts, bruises, and scratches. This abuse the family suffered secretly for months until the entity developed a new power, speech. Whispers began in the Bell house, and soon the sound of a woman's voice faintly singing was heard. The voice and the violence became too much for John Bell, and he confided his family secret to his neighbor, James Johnston, which at the time, Lee, I guess is the thing to do. Like, who else are you going to tell? I thought Ghostbusters already had their number out there and they could call them, but... Right, but <laughs> I think I think this is, um, I don't know, like, what? Well, I think it's like six decades before the telephone. Fine. They yeah, could, yeah, and uh, they could. I think it might them. even be pre pre telegraph. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in a, in a very long handwritten letter. Y yes. <laughs> yes. My dearest. But, you know, it... my dearest, <laughs> Mister. <laughs> I can't even remember Johnson. his name. <laughs> Johnson. It's Johnson. My dearest, Mister Johnson. <laughs> we have yeah, the um, worst possible or... haunting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, or you could just go over to his house, Lee. He's right next door. Oh, that's a lot easier. <laughs> Let's do that. Yeah. Um, well, and in this day and age, you know, these communities were small. You had to rely on the people next to you. So Bell invited his neighbor over to experience the haunting for himself. Johnson and his wife slept over at the Bell house, and in the night they experienced exactly what the Bells had been suffering physical abuse, voices, and having the covers pulled off the bed. According to the legend, Johnston shouted out, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? This question would be put to the entity many times, and the answer that it gave was chilling. I just want about 350. <laughs> no, that wasn't it. 350. Oh, dang. Okay. That was not it. That was a good guess, though. I knew it was close. So, <laughs> so these events had been going on for about a year before John divulged the haunting to his neighbor. And after Johnson's visit, the entity began to grow in strength again and developed a voice that was so strong it could carry on conversations with the occupants of the Bell home. This is when the entity began telling the Bells and the many visitors who came to see the spirit all about itself. Claiming the name of Kate, 
the disembodied voice gave multiple accounts of its origin, but had a singular purpose. To kill John Bell. I don't know why this thing hated John Bell. She called him Old Jack Bell. But it hated him with a passion. I, th- I think I know why. What do you think? He shot my cat. And I'm pretty sure <laughs> that he is abusing his family. Look at all the beatings and welts and stuff up there farther up. Um, uh, well, I mean, I'm doing some of the hitting too, but um, I think he's abusing the family. Right. Well, and then a lot of this, uh, a lot of this alleged activity is, um, I don't know, very childish. You know, oh, tied her hair to the bedpost, um, slaps. Uh, pin pricks, right? Oh, I got you in the foot with a needle <laughs> while you slept. So, you know, the kids could be acting out. And actually, uh, later on, a lot of people who knew Betsy Bell uh, thought that she was the source of this whole deal. Uh, they just see, they just thought she was a faker. Well, and so. I mean, there's some there's some parts of that that make some sense as well. If you look into other phenomenons, like let's say poltergeist phenomenons. The, the prevailing theory right now with poltergeist is that it is uh, manifestations of a um, a person that has predisposition ability like psychic abilities um, and they're going through rough um, they're going through a rough time in life uh, usually uh, young girls at, at roughly puberty age um, and those girls are having very very bad emotional situations. Um, so it is possible that while she may have just been faking, um, which is always possible, uh, she also may not have been in control of the situation. People uh, that are in these poltergeist situations often don't know it's them that's manifesting it. Um, and if they do know it's them that's manifesting it, they typically don't have control over it to to prevent it from happening anyway. So... I'm totally with you, Lee. I actually, uh, when I was researching this, I had kind of thought the same thing. And I didn't know what it was called. I heard uh, an interview where an actual Bell Witch researcher put a name to it. Uh, It was called, uh, what was it? Uh, Recurrent Spontaneous Psychokinetic Events. And that's Uh, not... Like RSPK. Yeah, and that's not the only time, like... This isn't the only time that's happened. There's there was stories of a young man um, that was causing it to rain inside, um, and he had no control over it. So it doesn't just happen to young women. Oh yeah, lots of poltergeists. Yeah. lots. So of there's a lot of poltergeists, but it's the prevailing theory on it now is that it's it's controlled by a, a human being's own um, predispositioned abilities uh, with me, like uh, heavy mental stimuli. Um, that's causing a lot of the issues. Right. And Betsy Bell fits the profile that you described of a young girl, puberty age, maybe being abused. I mean, she's uh, around 11 when this starts, 11, 12. That was the same age that Lucy was when she was married to John. So I don't know. Some weird stuff going on there, man. Uh, Again, there's no evidence there's no writings, but then again, you know, a lot of people don't talk about this sort of stuff, especially, I mean, people don't talk about this sort of stuff nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sure as heck didn't talk about it 
in 1817. Well, let's be honest. We are a few years prior to the Me Too movement, so. Uh, yeah, just a couple. Just... I'd say about right around 200 dead on. Yeah, pretty much, so, yeah. yeah. Um, that yeah. being said, I don't want to cast so. dispersions on the story. Um, taking it at a grain of salt, w- what we say in, the, in, in our thoughts um, aren't necessarily, we're not saying they're the truth and that this story is untrue. Um, but we do have our personal opinions, and we, we will be bringing those out as we continue in the story. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, I've, I've got a Scooby-Doo theory that it was all fake, but um, you know what? The the psychic energy one, this uh, um, poltergeist deal coming from Betsy is another good theory. Um, so there's there was something going on because people from town were coming to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People from town heard this. People from town experienced uh, physical interactions with some thing that was invisible. Well, and they, they not only experienced so, um, like physical interactions, but they, they also talked to Kate, um, which is an interesting phenomenon. Um, I don't know. Uh, did, did you mention it in the story uh, or so far I don't think you have yet but did you come across uh, the story where Kate actually claimed to have uh, to no knowledge of something that happened at one particular parish um, like one particular church and she was talking uh, her disembodied voice was actually coming through at a completely separate church a good distance away um, preventing there from being any like knowledge that could have been given um, there was no you know there was no cell phones back then so the fact that 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 information was transferred is just kind of interesting to me yeah we've got that and we've got more uh, allegedly she was able to get information from overseas as well yes yes check yeah check this out so we keep calling this entity Kate. Um, it's good to point out the name Kate comes from Kate Bat's witch. The spirit entity once claimed to be Kate Bat's witch. Kate Bat's was a local woman who was a bit odd and was rumored to practice witchcraft. Now, the claims of her witchery are are pretty dubious i heard uh one story that they didn't they thought she was a witch because she wouldn't ride her mule and evidently witches can't ride on animals well i mean that makes sense um i also heard stories of um you know a young men being very upset and believing um their other young women to uh, be witches as well because you know there's something bewitching down inside my trousers so there's that. Oh no! I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> Leave my trousers. Cast Send thee the out. Send the switch away, O oh Lord. <laughs> cast thee out. I cast <laughs> thee out. What is this liquid what spirit? Like? Is this <laughs> witchcraft? I say. Nay. Terrible. Nay, it's not witchcraft. Well, it's the devil. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's good to point out. Um, this is part of where the Bell Witch story gets its name. Uh, back in this time, 
everyone thought that this was witchery, uh, you know. So the the paranormal terminology that we use today to describe supernatural events did not exist. Um, yeah, and speaking so, to that, like it, it wasn't just like it, ghosts could be called witches. They they don't actually have to be witches. I'm sorry, Dan. I apologize for interrupting. Continue. No, that's all right. Um, so Kate Batts rumored to be a witch, but. The thing was, she was also on the receiving end of many of John Bell's shady business deals. So she might not have been a witch, but she might have had some motivation. Uh, Kate Batts denied any involvement with the haunting, and the spirit would go on to give conflicting tales of its origin. Uh, In one of the stories, Kate the Spirit said that she was... Uh, the ghost of a Christian woman killed by Indians. Kate claims she had never received a proper burial and that one of her teeth was buried under the Bell home, hence the haunting. Again, very much reminiscent of a film like uh, Poltergeist, you know. The bodies are under there. They didn't move the heads. They just moved the stones. I like, I like, that, uh, I like that it's one tooth, though. I feel like... Um... I feel like if I was dead, one tooth being out of place would not be my uh, my location of haunting. But that's right. just me. Well, and and then uh, one tooth also very convenient if the story was fake. Because I mean, how are you going to find one tooth under a whole house? It's a needle in a haystack, almost um, literally. But that wasn't. Yeah, that wasn't the only story she told. Uh, in fact, other times she claimed to be seeking a missing treasure and sent the Bell Boys on a wild goose chase to appease her. Uh, evidently, there are some Native American burial mounds in the region, and she said she was looking for treasure. She had to have that treasure to to leave the family, and the boys went out looking for it. And again. It's a needle in a haystack. There's gold in them there hills, I tell you. There's gold. (laughs) I must have the gold to leave you. Otherwise, you'll wake up in the night with no covers on. Your feet will be cold, and I'll slap the piss out of you. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's pretty much how it is. That's extortionly. That's (laughs) supernatural extortion. Oh, I love it. That's racketeering. That's some strong arm mafia stuff coming from Kate, the witch, the ghost. It's spirit. It's really easy to be a voice, badass. Whatever when you're it invisible. was. <laughs> right when there's no repercussions at all. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, uh, now, now here's here's what you were talking about, Lee. Uh, the vast knowledge that Kate seemed to have. Um, naturally, the Bell family invited preachers over to try and expel this evil spirit. Um, but Kate would regularly just get into arguments and debates with these local preachers, and her knowledge of the Bible was extremely in-depth. Um, in one story, Kate recounted two sermons given at the same time 13 miles apart, and allegedly had knowledge of events happening in the other houses in town and would go around spreading gossip. Um, Kate's antics soon became the talk of the town, and uh, one of these 
uh, Lee, that I was telling you about, an Englishman visited the town to see the spirit, and Kate spoke to him in his parents' voices. Later on, he wrote home, and his parents told him they had been visited by Kate in England. I was hoping you were going to get to that story, because that one... um... That one's one of the ones that leads some credence to the story. If 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 the story is not outright like embellished, there's some credence there in my opinion. When Yeah, he he wrote to the Bell family and apologized profusely for being a disbeliever after this happened. See, and and when you look at when you look at that um and and think about um the Catholic rite of exorcism, they have several rules that you have to fall or that they have to fall within before they feel an exorcism is required. And one of the biggest ones is knowledge that shouldn't be there. Now, granted, this is a disembodied voice and not another human being. Um, but if you think about it in that way, um, that knowledge that there should that shouldn't be. I mean, this is the 1800s. This is well before our capability of. Um, I'm sorry, are the ninth or the 1700s. Um, this is well before the capability of communicating long distances. Um, well before people even getting more typically more than uh, 50 miles outside of their, where they were born. Most people did not get that far away from where they were born. So how did this knowledge travel um, that far? Yeah, it's it's a crazy story. Um, and the thing about it is, as Kate's popularity around town grew, word spread around Middle Tennessee. And allegedly, this is the part of the legend that brings future president Andrew Jackson to the bell house. You know, if I'm running for president, mm-hmm. the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to go ghost hunting. Right. Well, this uh, yeah, this was while he was still Major General Andrew Jackson. Even better. Um, and now, yeah, no no historical documents uh, can substantiate old Hickory's encounter with the Bell Witch, um, but the story has become a very unique part of Tennessee folklore, and it's worth recounting. Now, one thing we do know is that Bell's three oldest sons actually served under Jackson during the Creek Indian Wars and at the Battle of New Orleans. So that's an interesting historical side note. So there is uh, a connection the Battle of New there, Orleans. so it's not completely unfounded. Yeah, there's something. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Battle of New Orleans was in 1814, um, and it happened right at the end of the War of 1812. In fact, the war had already ended when the battle took place, but word couldn't reach... General Jackson uh, before he engaged the British. So there you go. That's another point in how long and slow it took information exactly. to travel. And, and from these place are to place. these are military. Um, you know, these are military. Like information just took. Yeah, this was probably sent uh, in a dispatch with a courier exactly. to get to General Jackson as quickly this as possible. This was moved at, at the. Oh, I think at he, the I think peak. it was Colonel yeah. Jackson when he. Was, this was moving at the peak of current technology of the time to get that information to Jackson, and it didn't get there in time. 
Right, and that technology at the time was a man riding a horse. Well, yeah, so. I know, but it's the peak of their technology at the time. <laughs> That's the best they could do. <laughs> um, so according to the story, in 1819, Jackson had heard about the haunting and set out to investigate. At one point near the bell house, the party of men and wagons accompanying Jackson got stuck, the wagon wheels completely frozen in place. The men naturally blamed the supernatural figure they sought, and it was only with Kate's permission that they were allowed to advance. Upon reaching the Bell home, General Jackson and his officers dined with the family, and one man said he had brought a silver bullet to dispatch the evil entity once and for all. That was until he was struck by an invisible force and kicked right out the door of the bell house. Man. After this run-in, yeah. <laughs> After this run-in with some invisible power, bloody, bloody Andrew Jackson, a seasoned military commander, retreated from the bell witch. Well, you know what? It is, like I said, it is hard to fight an invisible being, um, and it is easy to be a badass when you're invisible. Um that being said, right. I do. Well, and what was he going to do with the silver bullet? <laughs> yeah, how are you going to shoot something that's invisible? What was this guy thinking? He, he and then he goes in there talking crap and gets his butt kicked. Listen, listen. You come in with a silver bullet. You talk some shit. You're gonna get the piss slapped out of you. <laughs> Thanks for throwing it back to that one. <laughs> now. uh... So, little history, Andrew Jackson became president after winning election in 1828. It was about nine years after the alleged event. Um, but John Bell would never live to see his most famous house guest win the White House. On December 20th, 1820, John Bell died. A vial of an unknown liquid was found by his side. The family gave a small dose of the liquid to a cat to test it, and the animal jumped up and dropped dead almost instantly. That's an interesting, like, visual. Because that's how, <laughs> that's how you tested poison in 1820. It was just like, ah, just give it to the well, cat. it's not a bad way. Like, if I didn't have another option, I'd give it to a cat. Um, I'm not going to give it to a dog but I'll give it to a cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the cat people out there, Lee, are furious I know. right I know. now. Tell Sarah I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't mean what I said. That's okay. I'm a dog person, too. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> I wouldn't do it to Sarah's cat, though. I actually really like that cat. That's like the one cat I like. That's okay. So. That, that, you know, there are the That's occasional right. cats that are okay. Um just yeah, we'll uh, we'll see if we can get a picture of Kingsley in the show notes. He's the bomb. Okay, we will. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Now, uh, oh wait, that's for the Patreon supporters only. <laughs> that we're keeping that in the family. Oh. We're keeping that in the Beyonder family. If you want to see the cat, you gotta pony up a couple yep. bucks. Um, One dollar or more you gets know what? to meet we, Kingsley. We want you. To, yeah, we want you to be part of the family too. So go ahead, <laughs> come on. So, anyways. Um, now, so the cat is dead, and Kate, the spirit, took credit. For killing the cat or killing John? 
for the cat and John. <laughs> she took credit for the poisoning of old Jack, and she sang body songs at his funeral. So she was living it up. This was her purpose. She said she had switched out the vials with his medicine. Again, remember, he was having some issues, seizures, something, some kind of neurological condition or something going on. And allegedly this was it. This was the poisoning that killed old Jack Bell. And to this day remains the only death attributed to an American haunting. Well, I got nothing. Um, I thought I had some sarcastic comment, but I don't. So let's move on. (laughs) Well, you see, well, there's plenty of more opportunities, Lee, because this was not the end of Kate. You think her mission successful, she would just leave. Now, uh, her activity did drop uh, dramatically after Belle's death, but she had one more trick up her sleeve. You see, Kate was responsible for Betsy Bell ending her engagement to one Mr. Joshua Gardner. Hmm. Kate had tormented Betsy's family for years and objected to Betsy's engagement from the get-go. Fearing the entity would torment Joshua the same way it had hated her father, Betsy broke off her relationship with Joshua on Easter Monday, 1821. Um, so, Easter Monday? Not Easter Monday. That's the day after Easter okay, Sunday. all right. Um, is... I'm back to Betsy being the root of this. I'm, I'm just saying I've, I've shifted back um, because maybe she just didn't really like Joshua all that much. Yeah, uh, that's a great theory and one that I would uh, be totally down to subscribe to. Uh, I think she didn't want to marry this dude in the first place. So there you go. Yeah, um, and and that was that was a thing back then as well. Like it's not like that would be an unfounded theory. Um, most weddings were set up by the family anyway. So um, I don't think now. I think. Uh... I think a lot of this, though, actually, a lot of people in town said that Josh and Betsy were a good couple. Um, there's a lot of stories that they were a good match. So who knows? Maybe it was just uh, this Kate thing that uh, made her decide, like, you know, this thing killed my father. I'm not going to force it on the man I love. And uh, there's some evidence, actually, that after Joshua left town, uh, he was still very cordial and uh, had done something like uh, petition the state government to help out uh, Betsy's uh, future husband. She married a a totally different guy uh, by the name of Powell. Uh, So he was still he was still helping out the family. He still liked Betsy. So no hard feelings, I guess. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? Um, but so Easter Monday comes and goes. Kate has killed John Bell and she's a bit of a home wrecker too. And Joshua Gardner has been sent packing. Uh, a little bit later, Kate came to John Bell's widow, Lucy, 
and told her she would be leaving, but planned on returning in seven years. Now, Kate returned as promised and held three nights of conversation with John Bell Jr. She spoke to John Bell's son about the past, present, and future, said she would return to John Bell's closest descendant in 107 years, and finally left for good. Now, there's no account of Kate re- Kate's return in 1935. Despite her failure to return, many Bellwish locations are still the source of numerous paranormal encounters well into the 21st century. <clears throat> Sorry, I had to do clear my throat. Line. You okay over there? Yeah, I'm good. I just had to take a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so... No, you're right. I mean, even if you go on the the Bell Witch tour nowadays, um, it is strongly suggested that you do not um, even take home a pebble that you find on the ground um, because it's believed that uh, that will bring you bad luck. Oh, so e- even the ground is haunted out there, Lee. Well, um, I think that this is... Um, a pretty serious connection with what might have been going on with Kate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's connected to the land. John Bell's a farmer. He came in. He cleared a bunch of land. Um, you know, cut down trees, plowed it up, planted crops. Um, there's in Native American burial mounds nearby the town. Um, you know, this is just after the Creek Indian Wars, mm-hmm. um, so there was a lot of there's a lot of conflict in the region before the Bells showed up. Well, and here they and, are. And you think about it that way as well. Um, not only was uh, John potent or John a threat to the land, um, Joshua. If Joshua married Kate or married Betsy um, does that mean that Joshua oh. is likely to take over the farm yeah well um, I mean maybe but you know Betsy was the family's only daughter mm-hmm. so to focus on uh, John and then maybe any future progeny I think that's a, an excellent point you make Lee because mm-hmm. uh, not only not only is John tearing up the land, but all of his kids will too. Yeah. And Betsy, as the only one who could bear children, might have been a target for any spirit trying to protect the land. Yeah, and maybe the other boys didn't show as much interest in um, continuing with the farm, so she hoped that um, she just didn't want uh, Betsy to bring another child into the world that could be could continue yeah. the farm going further. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, and and the family is still all around Middle Tennessee, and they moved out to, uh, like, northern Mississippi and places and branched out. So there's a lot of Bell descendants that are still in the area. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's still a farm anymore. I don't know. I haven't been out there. We might have to do a, an on-location examination. Well, I know that the, the original so. location uh, where the um, Bell House was no longer exists. The bell house was torn down. Um, it has, they, they have since built a small home um, there 
and there's there's a family that lives there um and they they kind of take care of the the land and uh, of the property there um they're the ones that kind of take care of the bell witch cave uh oh. and uh there's some stories around that they have about it um one of the one of the biggest ones um uh, is about um about a poltergeist about poltergeist activity that they have and i get farther into that um actually in the next episode so i don't want to give away Ooh. too much um a teasely a tease i love it um but you mentioned the bell witch cave uh i did a little bit of research on modern bell witch stories and the cave is one of the central locations okay um, in one of the stories, a boy said he was pulled out of the cave by his feet. A girl claimed to have been chased out of the cave by a spirit just before two felons were found hiding out in the cave. It's a good place to hide. So she said, yeah, oh yeah. She said the spirit must have uh, guided her out to protect her. Otherwise, she would have been, you know, captured by these two criminals. Um, and now in another story in 1986, and this one is actually, uh, very well documented because it involves a journalist for the Tennessean and a caver who went to investigate the cave story. Now they heard all kinds of thumps and rumbles from inside the cave. They were trying to spend the night, uh, checking their equipment. They couldn't find anything the source of any such noises and when it kept happening they went to the cave entrance to check on another rumble they heard now they determined that that noise to be the sound of a jet overhead but when they turned back a high-pitched scream came out of the cave and the men retreated another man it, a year later, claimed that a rabbit started following him one night near the cave. He had run out of gas, and as he was walking, the animal kept up with him, even as he broke into a run, and when the man finally stopped to catch his breath, the rabbit looked at him and said, that was some race. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dude. So this uh, this rabbit story fits in with the mythology, with the southern trickster mythology, with the Kate appearances, with the Donnie Darko rabbit-headed dog. It, it fits, man. Oh, that was a spirited little jaunt, me lass. I'm assuming it went very quickly <laughs> like that. Like, just... uh, yeah, right. I, well, have you ever heard uh, the sounds that a rabbit makes? Uh, only the ones of when it's like being attacked by a falcon and it is terrifying. Yes. And it has an almost human like scream. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Way freaky, dude. So I wonder if the rabbit's voice was like that when it spoke <laughs> to him or if it was like, or, or was it like a Morgan Freeman <laughs> voice? Was it like high pitched scream or was it like, <laughs> you know, was he cool? <laughs> What was this rabbit like? Well, that was some race. <laughs> was it a Sam? What is a Samuel L. Jackson voice? Did he drop an <laughs> mf'er in there? 
that oh we, that that would be my choice for a rabbit voice. I, I like it. I like it. Um, what about like yeah. a uh, what about like a? I already went kind of Scottish, but let's take it. Uh, or I went kind of Irish. Let's take it to like a like a um like oh, I I got nothing. I'm sorry. Like an English thing. No, I'm no, I'm picking up what you're putting down. In fact, I was just thinking. Um, John Hurt did the voice for a rabbit in an animated version of Watership Down. Okay. Uh, very good, very good production. Uh, it's a it's a story about rabbits, Lee, who are moving from one place to another, and one of the rabbits is like has a vision that all the other rabbits in their uh, burrow are gonna die, so they have to run okay. away. And it's a whole story about fascism and blah, blah, blah. It's all symbolic of other stuff. But it's about rabbits, and John Hurt voices one of the rabbits, and he'd be a great voice for the rabbit in this story. And that is a very long tangent. Well, one last one, though. Sean Connery. Okay. Oh, <laughs> dude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Now... Uh, that would be such a good voice, <laughs> especially with this line. <clears throat> Ready? Hold on. <clears throat> that was some race. <laughs> that was some race. <laughs> that was some race. All right. Okay. All right. We got to move on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Your best. Losers try their best. Suck it, Trebek. <laughs> Winners go. <laughs> oh, you... You you know the rock you know the rock that Sean Connery line yeah no losers try their best winners go home and you well, you know what winners do um, so oh. sorry so, everybody yeah long no long side tangent but the thing about these stories uh, the rabbits the cave um, all of this stuff it really pales in comparison to the original haunting. Um, but Lee, your story next week, uh, well, uh, next week, next, uh, terrestrial Tuesday. That's what I should say. Next terrestrial Tuesday, Lee, you've got a story, uh, with strange parallels to the original story of John Bell that involves a man, his daughter, talking to spirits, poltergeist activity, and a frightful haunting just down the road in Middle Tennessee. Yeah, actually, the the interview that I got to do with this man, um, it is an amazing story. It is a harrowing story, um, and there is a lot of a lot of links that can be taken, uh, and we'll discuss more about that uh, later in that episode. Um, but we just wanted to prime you for it because it's going to be. Please come back and listen to us. It's going to be a great episode. Um, he is a great man uh, that wrote the that wrote a great book. So, yes, tune in, Beyonders. Lee has got an amazing interview. I've listened to it already, and it will it will chill you. It will make you think. And this interview it it gets deep into the spirit world. So if you're one of those people who's in tune with it, uh, you're going to want to listen to this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Lee, I think that's the show. That's the story of the Bell Witch, the history of Middle Tennessee, 
the legend, some of it unsubstantiated, but that's what people say happened. Guys, absolutely. Um, This is a story that consumes a nearby town, um, and it is an amazing story. This little town nearby or nearby me um, does uh, a play every year um, uh, during the Halloween season uh, that is a story of the Bell Witch. And uh, it's an amazing event. And if you guys are nearby, uh, you should check it out. Unfortunately, this episode will be coming out shortly after this uh, season is over. Um, but uh, please check it out next year, guys. Yes, we are leaning into the Bell Witch story. It's a great way for little towns to capitalize on the haunted history of the region. And tune in to the next episode of Beyond Terrestrial because we are diving deep into these hauntings. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Beyonders, it's been a pleasure listening to Dan tell a story. Um, I hope everybody goes out, gets on our uh, Facebook page, likes, subscribes, um, listens, gets on with uh, us on Twitter. Uh, Dan, what is that Twitter handle one more time? That's at Beyond T Pod. Beyond the letter T Pod. You got it. And at Facebook, all you got to do is search for Beyond Terrestrial. It'll pop up. Pretty easy to find. Um, It's the one with the giant alien head um, in the picture and uh, Bigfoot in the background. So uh, hopefully you can find us. Please like and subscribe. All right, Beyonders, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good night, Beyonders.